0: Welcome to Basecamp, a Climbing Magazine podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Kevin Riley, and have a terrific episode for you with two very inspiring climbers. Our first interview features Nina Williams, a professional climber best known for her first female ascent of ambrosia, an intimidating V11 highball boulder problem in the buttermilks of Bishop, California. Earlier this year, Nina teamed up with Climbing Magazine to produce an online course called Intro to Bouldering that covers the fundamentals of the discipline, and on October 1st, a follow-up course called Boulder Harder will be launched. The eight-part online course covers gear, advanced movement, techniques, proper training, and bouldering etiquette that intermediate and advanced boulders need to take their bouldering to the next level. Then we have an interview with Quinn Brett, who endured a horrific accident on El Cap falling approximately 100 feet from the boot flake onto the Texas flake, when she and her partner, Josie McKee, attempted to speed climb the nose in a day. I visited her at her place in Estes Park, Colorado, and we talked about how she originally got into rock climbing while growing up in New Hope, Minnesota, what it was like being a climbing ranger in Rocky Mountain National Park, what attracted her to big wall speed climbing, the events that took place on the day of the accident, and how her life has changed for better or for worse as a result of the accident and being paralyzed from the waist down. But first, A word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by the Access Fund. Did you know one in five climbing areas in the United States is threatened by an access issue? Whether it's private land loss to development, public land managers over-regulating climbing, or climber impacts degrading the environment, the list of threats is long and constantly evolving. At Access Fund, they're on a mission to protect climbing access and the integrity of America's outdoor climbing areas. See how you can get involved at accessfund.org. All right. So I see you got an injury here. What's going on with your knee?
1: Yeah. So about two and a half weeks ago, I competed in the Seco block competition, Uh which is an event in Salt Lake City that involves deep water soloing. And uh, the climbers will essentially race on a 50-foot Overhanging wall with no ropes or anything Mm -hmm. and when we fall we fall into an olympic-sized swimming pool Um, So the landing is softer than concrete a little bit, uh, but (laughs) not by much and um, I jumped off the top of the wall uh, As I have in the past i've competed in Seco block for the past uh, Four years or so and I thought I had everything right. I thought I knew how to fall And I penciled into the water just as normal, but something about hitting the water uh, impacted my knee. Uh And I can't say that I'm guiltless because two days prior, I had hiked to Upper Upper Chaos in Rocky Mountain National Park um, two days in a row, Mm -hmm. and then went straight to Seco Block with no rest day. So part of that was probably my fault for not resting or stretching or anything before then. But uh, yeah, when I hit the water, I felt... uh, instant sharp pain in my knee and um turns out i had just gotten sort of a low grade mcl tear
0: oh man how long you out for you think uh
1: from now so it's been two and a half weeks and i just started pt I'll probably get to climb in another week and a half to two weeks. And then I should hopefully be fully recovered between eight to 12 weeks. That's not too bad. Yeah. It's all things considered. It could have been a lot worse. Um, I didn't get any like ACL tears or LCL or meniscus stuff. So yeah, I'm counting my blessings for sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I saw you compete over at Seco Rock over at Summersville Lake. I think that was, what, two years ago yeah, that or something like Yeah, that was almost like that. exactly two years ago. Yeah, no. yeah. So do you enjoy the deep water soloing? Is it something you look forward to or something you kind of get nervous for?
1: Uh, I can't say it's something I really look forward to. <laughs> uh, but I like that environment mainly because it's it's an uncomfortable situation to be in just being high above anything high above the ground without any ropes and not really being able to rehearse the moves or know what's what you're in for like mm-hmm. you're definitely going to fall at some yeah point. um <laughs> unlike you know roped climbing or even highballing, you know i i you don't know it's up there so when you fall yeah. off you hit the water and it's it's definitely a bit scary but facing that sort of mentality like that that fear uh-huh. and then working through it in that moment is a really cool situation to be in as well.
0: And it's definitely a lot more exciting for spectators. I remember being at the <laughs> Seaco Rock, I was just like on the edge of my seat being like, Oh my
1: God Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's definitely spectator friendly because I mean it's kind of like watching a train wreck. I feel like spectators <laughs> are there for the for the falls just as much as they're there <laughs> for the climbing (laughs) and you know in general it's pretty safe there's always some type of injuries like minor injuries going on minor being like blown eardrums or torn mcls or something Mm -hmm. but nobody's really dying yeah (laughs) hopefully not hopefully not yet (laughs) So where are you from originally? I
0: read that you're from the New England area.
1: Yeah, I'm from Rhode Island originally. Oh, okay. Um, I sort of split time between Rhode Island and Connecticut growing up. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, I traveled all around the New England area. I'm
0: guessing you spent a lot of time at Lincoln Woods.
1: I did. That's where I first started climbing. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. That's I, awesome. I tell people that I'm from Rhode Island and they're like, there's really not really any mountains over there. And I'm like, nope, just had good old Lincoln Woods Yeah. 15 minutes from my house, which is still, you know, 15 minutes away is a... Is a a great resource for a young person growing sure. up. Sure, so it was really accessible.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I call that place like the home of the hardest V four. There is this one V four called Heart of Glass that just took oh, me yeah. like seasons after seasons. And what I really learned about climbing out there is it's so season dependent. You really just have to like climb in the fall and the winter to tackle a lot of your projects. Mm
1: -hmm. Yep. There's like one perfect fall day and one perfect spring day. (laughs) And then all the rest of the days in New England are really hard to deal with.
0: (laughs) So how did you get into climbing and bouldering in the first place?
1: So I actually first encountered climbing at an outdoor artificial climbing wall in new hampshire Mm -hmm. um i was at a ski resort in the summertime just walking around with my parents and there was uh this big outdoor wall and I had never tried climbing before, so I tried it. And I w- was kind of naturally good at it off the bat. And I had never been naturally good at anything before that. I had tried uh, horseback riding. I had tried um, swimming and soccer and ballet and just never really cut it. <laughs> but yeah. when I tried climbing, I was like, oh, this is something, you know, that makes me feel good about myself. <laughs> yeah. So um, I joined a climbing team when I went back to Rhode Island and uh yeah just took it from there
0: and were you initially like really into bouldering into sport climbing into both
1: i was initially really into bouldering well actually i was initially into both uh i did both bouldering and sport climbing growing up just because the, that's how the climbing team operated. Uh-huh. But we did more bouldering than sport climbing because Lincoln Woods was so close to the gym. Yeah. And we had a sport climbing crag, uh, Rumney, sure, in New Hampshire, but that was about three hours away, so mm-hmm. a little harder.
0: And in New England, like I'm really into trad climbing, but I learned how to climb in Western Mass by Farley ledges. And you just end up bouldering more than anything because the bouldering quality is so much better, I feel, Mm -hmm. than the sport climbing or the trad uh, quality.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So tell me about being on a team. Like, Do you feel like being on a team and being coached helped you progress faster than if you were just learning on your own?
1: Yes. Being on a team and being coached definitely helped my progress, mainly because it gave me a community. It gave me a support system. And it gave me a lot of external motivation and encouragement to get outside um, and to continue, you know, exploring this this sport that I otherwise didn't have any experience in. And I was in, a, in an age of climbing where my coaches uh, were just as adamant about us going outside as they were about us competing. Actually, they were more adamant about us going outside <laughs> than uh-huh. competing. We competed as a team. And our coaches were always like, yeah, yeah, you know, I guess because we're a climbing team, we should compete. But the outside emphasis was a lot greater, yeah. which I think is a bit different nowadays for climbing teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like I really grew up in this 50-50 environment, um, which which has helped my climbing today.
0: Did you have a favorite
1: area around there? In New England? Yeah. I mean, probably Lincoln Woods, just because we went really? there so often. Now, having traveled around a bit more, I'd say Farley. I mean, it's probably sure. one of my favorite areas. Uh, and Romney, too. Romney's, I mean, it's great.
0: Interesting, interesting. So tell me, you put together intro for bouldering, an online course for Climbing Magazine. Can you tell me a little bit about that course and who it's for?
1: Yeah, so I partnered up with Climbing Magazine to create this introduction to climbing course, uh, which is all online based, and it's pretty cool because you can just watch a lot of videos and read about the the basics of climbing, and it's a way to sort of, sort of shortcut any tips or like any hard part about climbing that otherwise you might need like a big group of friends or a mentor or a coach to tell you about. And so climbing, as it gets more mainstream and a lot more people are getting into it, uh, it can be pretty intimidating Mm -hmm. to walk into a crowded climbing gym or a crowded crag and not really know who to talk to or how to act or what to do. So the intro to bouldering course is for those folks who – want that shortcut just want like a little bit more information before going straight to the gym and and diving into it
0: and do you think it's easier for people to learn through video than like through a book or
1: something like that i would say video is is definitely better than a book just because you can you can see the action you can visualize i mean you don't even have to visualize the visualization is right there for you yeah Uh, so you can have this virtual coach in a sense telling you you know here's the deal here's the 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 best ways to do things
0: and how did you guys put together the syllabus for that course was was there a group of you guys putting it together or is it something you put together on your own
1: i put it together mostly by myself but i also Talked to a lot of friends and I was like, mm-hmm. hey guys, if you can remember back when, you know, you just started climbing out, what were some of your biggest fears and what were some of the things that you were most nervous about? Yeah. And then I tried to put myself in a beginner's shoes and was like, mm-hmm. all right, what's, you know, what are the basics of climbing and what can we go over?
0: Have you done any coaching prior to this or was this really your first endeavor?
1: Uh, I have actually coached before. Um, I've did a lot of informal coaching as a teenager um, with, with really young youth teams. I also coached at ABC, Teen oh, ABC yep. here in Boulder. Um, so again, with a lot of youth. And then I've coached uh, some adults Uh, and taught some intro clinics as well. And uh, it's really cool seeing the excitement and just like the newness of new climbers Mm -hmm. going into the community, like there's so much so much improvement to be done, yeah. <laughs> but but so much uh, excitement as well, uh-huh. it's, it's really refreshing.
0: So on October 1st, you're releasing another series, Boulder Harder. It's an eight-part series. I imagine it's a lot more in-depth and possibly for a more like intermediate and advanced Boulder.
1: Yes. So Boulder Harder is aimed at the people who have you know, already gone through the motions, they've been to the gym, they've climbed, you know, V3, V4, V5, even harder than that. And climbers get to a point where, they you know as a beginner climber you progress really quickly it's it's mm-hmm. inevitable if you just keep climbing your body's going to get used to that but then at some point everyone hits a plateau
0: yeah definitely <laughs>
1: and the plateau can be at any grade but once you hit that plateau and you feel that you're not improving there it gets to a point where just climbing and just going to the gym or just going to the crag won't really cut it and so the Boulder harder course introduces some really basic training concepts, mm-hmm. and I really want to work on taking away the stigma of training. In that, training really isn't complicated, and yeah. it doesn't have to be this big plan or this you know huge ordeal that you have to take away time from climbing and the rest of your life. Any kind of training, any sort of consistent pattern, is better than doing nothing. Sure. And so once you hit that plateau. And you take the bolder, harder class. You can learn about these new concepts that will take you to that next level. No matter what level you're at right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I found personally, especially being out in New England, like I always thought, like if I get stronger, if my fingers get stronger, I'm going to be able to climb harder. But that really wasn't true, and it wasn't until I really started focusing a lot on my footwork that I was able to like bypass that ceiling that I hit. Because like especially in New England, you have this like, teeny, teeny like, granite footholds, a lot of smearing. Do you guys go over footwork as well? Is that a part of the course?
1: Yes. In the Boulder Harder course, we put a lot of emphasis on the three concepts of climbing, which is the physical, technical, and mental aspects. And so, when people think about training, their immediate thought is to go to the physical. But really, that's just one third of what makes up a well-rounded climber. So, in Boulder Harder, we talk about mental training and technical training, uh, as far as movement drills. Um, you know how to overcome fear of falling, how to talk to yourself in this in this inner way that's productive and not going to hold you back. Mm-hmm.
0: So, like, I read a lot of educational books about climbing, and I always just read them, like, from cover to cover. Would you recommend that these videos be consumed, um, like, all at once and kind of, like, binge-watched? Are they meant to be viewed over a longer period of time?
1: It really depends on your learning style. If you're the type of person that likes to, you know, binge read or binge watch TV shows, yeah. You know, then yeah, like going through this whole course could be the way. But the great thing about the these courses is that they're always available to you. You know, once you buy that course, then you can reference it whenever you want. You'll mm-hmm. always have that resource. So if you like to learn a little bit slower or take it at your own pace, um, then you can watch a few videos and then go out and climb and yeah, then come yeah. back and watch a few more videos and be like oh this is a cool concept I'm gonna try it and go out and try it and then once you've watched the full series you can gain you know this greater understanding and then piece it together yourself
0: yeah so I guess it is kind of nice if you binge watch it at first you know what you don't know mm-hmm. can go out and try to practice it and then re-watch them as you need to yeah great so where did you guys shoot these videos were they shot at, on one location or all over the place
1: we mainly shot them at Joe's Valley Mm-hmm. In Utah, um, which is a really popular bouldering, bouldering area. And we also shot at the Longmont Climbing Collective here in Colorado.
0: Nice, nice. What was your favorite part of shooting the videos? Or do you have any like memories or, or funny tidbits you could share with us?
1: Well, it turns out it's really hard to talk about climbing when you can't demonstrate it. Mm-hmm. So for me as the instructor, we did have demonstration portions, but I would also have to just speak into the camera yeah. and think about you know, how to explain a smear or how to explain a heel hook without actually doing it. And it made me realize how kinesthetic climbing is i mean i already knew that obviously but it's such a a movement and balance based sport and so just trying to describe it is is extremely difficult. So I had to work through that myself, but just being outside and, uh, you know, talking about conservation and talking about preserving the areas Mm -hmm. and being aware of ourselves as climbers and our impact in a place that I've visited and climbed in for so long, um, really hit home for me too, as to how valuable these spaces are.
0: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time and, uh, good luck on the knee. Yeah. Thank
1: you. (laughs) Yep. Bye-bye.
0: All right, that's our conversation with Nina Williams. You can find both of the online courses that we discussed at climbing.com. Intro to bouldering is available now, and Boulder Harder will be launched on October 1st. Next, we have our conversation with Quinn Brett, so let's just get right to it. So we were listening to Grateful Dead. I know. As I came in here, have you, you, know. you always been a, a deadhead?
2: <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm a deadhead, no. but I enjoy their music. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I've been a big uh, fan of the Grateful Dead ever since high school. Yeah. So cool. I was supr- pleasantly now, surprised. Was, to wasn't hear there
2: that. just like maybe a month ago a band that everyone, all the Deadhead fans, are really. A- they they were in Red Rocks or something recently.
0: Yeah, well, I think... I don't know, um, the, I don't know the name Dead of it. Dead and Company? Yes. They were People in were Boulder. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big deal. I lots of friends who were
2: like... Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah.
0: Um, so you've been doing a lot of interviews as well. Kind of, It seems yeah. like... I mean,
2: I did one in January, I think, for The Sharp End, and then... That's about it for, like, talking about yeah. interviews, but otherwise, like, writing. I mean, I've been probably blogging too much but
0: (laughs) well I imagine that's like a good outlet for you
2: yeah it's kind of like journaling but which I've been doing as well but yeah it's a good outlet
0: Um, are you sick of it or as far as like other people contacting you to be Uh, interviewed and stuff like that I can get
2: tiresome but what I don't want is I don't I don't know I'm like I don't want to be like too much Quinn like there's this event this weekend on Saturday that Is the Rocky Mountain Rendezvous, and a coworker was like, "You should be one of the presenters," and I was like, "No, I don't think I should. Uh I don't want to be. I don't need to talk. Like I can MC it or whatever." But Uh
0: yeah. So, what are you going to MC it, or
2: Uh, probably? And I'm hoping that I haven't been able to get. There's two presenters, and the second one has been kind of like elusive this week. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, shit, I might have to (laughs) present if he doesn't." Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
0: So where did you grow up? Are you originally from Colorado?
2: No, New Hope, Minnesota.
0: You're from Minnesota? Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Where's New Hope?
2: New Hope, uh, it's like suburb northwest, like 10 miles near Plymouth, Crystal, Robbinsdale.
0: Okay. And did you start climbing
2: when you were living out there? Mm-hmm. And how yeah. did you get into it? Were your parents into it? No, but they were into hiking. And so when we were kids, we went to, we would travel to different national parks and summer vacation. We had like. Their two week vacation, and uh, they would take their two weeks off. And at first, I think our first vacation was like the Badlands or something. Uh-huh. I love and I was the four lands. years old. Yeah. Um, but then every year, as we got older, we would go a little bit further west and further west. And my brother and I would both get a little bit more exploratory. And next mm-hmm. thing you know, we were scrambling more stuff and then climbing more things. Yeah. And then it was kind of like, oh. And somehow, they, my parents, Amused me some time in high school with buying me the John Long book, uh-huh. How to Rock Climb. Yeah. And that was like my freshman year a Christmas present and then my sophomore year Christmas present was a rope and then I got some quick draws and I didn't have any partners or anybody to do this stuff with yet but they I was really interested in it and kind of taught myself
0: so they were getting you the gear before you were actually really doing it yeah which that's was pretty wild. cool for your parents to be doing it pretty progressive I know my yeah. parents always hated me rock climbing they're like we don't want to hear about it
2: well yeah they didn't love it and of course now they're like eh, that great <laughs> yeah but uh yeah, I think they just saw that I it, it kept me busy. Like I liked the mental and the physical aspect of it, even as a kid. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, so they bought me all the gear. And then I randomly, in like junior of high school, a girlfriend was going to the on a weekend. She was like, "I'm going rock climbing this weekend," and I was like, "Well, how are you getting to do that?" And she's like, "Well, I'm part of the Civil Air Patrol." I was like, "Cool, can I join the Civil Air Patrol?"
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I would I joined, and I went on Wednesday nights. We went to the local local airstrip and we learned things about planes and like did laps around the tarmac and then on the weekends because one of the instructors knew how to rock climb on the weekends he would take us all rock climbing
0: really cool and this was like top roping and totally like top
2: roping in taylor's falls minnesota
0: and what type of rock are you climbing on
2: um i think that was mostly schist okay yeah Yeah.
0: and were you obsessed like right away was this something uh
2: i just well not obsessed but i mean i was a I was just always an athlete. It wasn't necessarily Mm -hmm. rock climbing. It was just like I would bike to school, to high school, and I didn't have to, and I would run afterwards, and yeah, I don't know. I'd play little games like there's a. I was my house is on the top of the hill, but you had to drop down the hill and then go up this other huge hill to get to like elementary school and middle school Uh and high school and all that stuff, and I would start playing these games of like, okay, bike up the hill without – Standing up, like, sit in your seat. Like, even at that age, I was <laughs> yeah, just Yeah, like, very just, like, adventurous. Yeah, and just play, challenging myself, I guess, physically.
0: Uh-huh. And were you into, like, team sports and stuff like that as well?
2: Uh, a little bit, yeah. Like, I did... I, my parents were good in that they wanted me to be well-versed. So uh-huh. I swam. I was on the swim team. Okay. I was on the basketball team, the softball team. I ran track. I played... Uh, piano and then I joined the chess club.
0: Awesome <laughs> so athletic and somewhat intellectual it sounds like. Yeah a little bit. And what 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 type of stuff were you into outside of like sports and adventure? You're big the books or music?
2: Uh, music yep so playing piano and singing so I sang uh-huh. I was in a travel, traveling ensemble in high school. Awesome. Yep and we would sing all over the place, like Christmas caroling, and going mm. to the white. We sang at the White House, our ensemble sang there for Christmas one year. Whoa, for the yeah. president or uh, yeah, which president? I was Clinton.
0: Oh wow!
2: And I'm trying to think, I don't know. I always like to draw and pottery. I love like uh-huh. ceramics.
0: Yeah. Sounds like you were you had a lot of hobbies. Yeah. Staying busy all the time. Yeah. And how was your brother older or younger?
2: Yeah, older. He's four years older.
0: And did he get into climbing
2: as well? He did, not as much as me, as young as me. But uh-huh. then once I started getting into it more, like once we were in college, we would all go. We would take, now we had all the tools and we would take my brother, my mother and my dad and we would go. My parents then had moved to Arizona Golly, when I was a sophomore in college, uh-huh. and so we would go spend Christmas down there, and which was nice because yeah, now it's a warm nice climbing warm, location. Yeah, yeah,
0: cool. So what would, area, like what areas, were you traveling to in Arizona?
2: Um, they're just outside of Phoenix, so we would travel to Queen's Creek a bit, uh-huh. and then McDowell. I never had yeah. climbed on Camelback. Okay, um, and then now it's a popular area called the Homestead, uh-huh. but I had been there f- many years ago when it was first being developed by people bolting and all that. Yeah, jazz. and what
0: did your parents do?
2: Um, uh, my dad is a psychologist, but uh-huh. he pretty much runs medical clinics now. He's like the h yeah. r side, and my mom is in travel.
0: Mm-hmm. Where did you go to
2: college? I went to University of Minnesota for my undergrad and University of Colorado for my graduate degree. And then I decided to go to Antioch University in Seattle trying to get another graduate degree because I thought I should do more school. <laughs> but it turns out I was paying a lot of money for not much, <laughs> not a good enough education. Yeah,
0: so. but you love school, it sounds like. Yeah, if you like st- learning. You like learning? Yeah. yeah. And what were you studying?
2: Uh, my undergrad is in psychology, psychology and leadership. Okay. And then my graduate degree is educational psych. And I have a I had a teaching license, 7 through 12, social studies. But I haven't used it, so I think it expires if you don't use it, uh-huh.
0: you don't use it, you lose it. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I't
2: want you're teaching our little munchkins
0: <laughs> so it sounds like you know you were really into climbing, you obviously came to Colorado. When did you know that you wanted to make climbing a profession? because at a certain point you became a climbing ranger here in Rocky Mountain National Park, right?
2: Yeah. Um, well, when I moved here, I was, so I started coming here in Estes Park, um, summers in my junior year of college, I believe, as, mm-hmm. right as my parents moved to Arizona, I was like, yeah. well, I don't have their house to crash at anymore, so yeah. I might as well go somewhere else. So, uh, a friend pointed me to the YMCA of the Rockies here, in fact, and I came out as a summer counselor and guided kids biking and hiking and fly fishing and random stuff, um, and I went back for my senior year and finished. And as soon as I graduated, I beelined it right back out here. So I knew that that experience working at the YMCA was pretty awesome. Uh, and I did that again for a few more summers and I started teaching outdoor education up there and then started working for a small guiding company here called Kent Mountain Adventure Center. And with Harry who owned KMAC, um, it just, yeah, allowed me to climb more rather than not necessarily fly fishing or going rafting mm-hmm. like the YMCA did. And then I worked at Ed's Cantina for many years and I realized that like I could climb on my own. And I. that's when I started really, I think, developing as a climber. I had a lot more personal time. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd work at Ed's and then in the morning go run out at Lumpy and do a little run solo circuit or find partners to climb the diamond. And every year, I think, since I I mean, for many years I applied. I applied for the Rocky Mountain job for three years. Yeah. Before finally, someone had to leave in order essentially for me to get the job. Like there was only a team of five, and all five of them loved their job. Totally. Um, so it was until one of them left and found another job and wanted to move up in the world that I was able to finagle my way in for, as a ranger there.
0: And what does being a ranger entail?
2: Um, so the qualifications are you have to be an EMT um, at the very least, mm-hmm. a paramedic is. Preferred or nursing would be fine. Climb five ten A two W three I think or M three excuse me. And essentially, what you do is I like, I always like to tell visitors in the park that EMTs or paramedics in the city life are pretty much housed at their house and they're just waiting for a phone call. And when that phone call comes, and they go out and do their job. Uh-huh. But in Rocky, instead of sitting around waiting, we're just wandering the park and. And then if a call happens, we're out, maybe out nearby, or at least we're out and we can, while we're out, if we're not nearby, we're talking to visitors and telling them about the impending thunderstorm that's rolling over the mountain shoulder or, um, yeah, what they need for food and water and just kind of doing some preventative search and rescue, we like Uh to call
0: it. And did you have some pretty wild experiences?
2: Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of crazy people out there doing crazy stuff, um, and unfortunately, we ha- had to see not some awesome things mm-hmm. like death and body parts, um, so that part's that, hard, a hard part of the job.
0: And how did you deal with that?
2: Um, I felt like I dealt with it fairly well, and that, not to be morbid, but death intrigues me in that way yeah me too actually yeah like uh, i remember sometime after college a friend we traveled to a friend's uncle in south carolina and his uncle is a owned a funeral home and was embalming somebody yeah and he asked if i wanted to see and i said yeah i'd like to Uh see that and it is pretty gross how that how we do that to a human body yeah at the same time it was intriguing to see um Yeah, I think it can be wearing over time for sure. There's places in the park where you can walk by certain parts and it triggers like, oh, I mean, from a little thing like, oh, that's where we rescued the lady with a sprained ankle to, oh, that's where I had picked up brain parts. Uh Um, So there's definitely those triggers. But Mm -hmm. I think if you're communicative about it and you're not necessarily, I think, like paramedic i mean it can get overwhelming if it's often and thankfully it's not as so often it's not like a daily thing for us yeah
0: absolutely yeah are you spiritual or religious do you think that has any aspect to it
2: mm, i'm not particularly i uh-huh. think there's like a kismet to the world but i don't yeah i don't think that has anything to sure. do. sure <laughs> so
0: when was the first time that you went to yosemite
2: uh, the very first time was when i was with my family uh on one of those family vacations i think i was like 13 or 14 uh-huh. And we just hiked around, and I remember telling my dad, "Ah, look at that El Cap! I'm totally gonna climb that one day."
0: <laughs> so when was it that you actually got on the big wall?
2: Not until gosh, like maybe ten, fifteen years later. I wasn't. I wasn't. I didn't climb El Cap till I was like twenty-eight or something. Uh huh. Yeah.
0: And what gravitated you to that in two
2: thousand and eight? Um. I, well, I'd always wanted to, but I just didn't think I was competent enough. Uh-huh. I didn't think I was ready. And um, at Kent Mountain Adventure Center, while I was still working for them, we had a tradition of every fall when our season was rounding up with the guiding season, Harry would let us borrow one of the big vans, like a big Ecoline van, mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of us would pile into it and pile all our gear into it and put our bikes on the top and drive out to Yosemite and this one season yeah like four of the KMAC guides were going and I wanted to go so and I thought it was my opportunity to have pl- willing partners and people that I knew pretty well and that were safe and I felt confident climbing with and trying hard with
0: yeah, yeah. and when you first did it did you know you were gonna be back many many times
2: I'd hoped yeah I mean I'd, yeah I'd just like falling in love with lumpy ridge here or the diamond here you just these cliffs are amazing and holy crap there's a lot of rock climbing to do there (laughs)
0: sure and was setting the speed record something that was like in the back of your head
2: never um until once i think maybe after that first trip uh to yosemite and our little guidery we like to call it at the camec place we had a picture of heidi Wertz and vera um, doing their pose down of mm-hmm. uh, doing the speed record. And I looked at it and I was like, that's from 2002. Holy cow. That's like eight years ago. Uh-huh. That doesn't seem that fast. Like if you just are moving all day, like sure. you could accomplish that. And so I kind of asked around and I didn't, at that time, I didn't have very many girlfriend partners that I could have asked. And i asked another, um, interim guide for KMAC Jess. And she said, yeah, let's give it a try. And I'd met her actually this, my first season in Yosemite with her partner at the time, Buster, and they were attempting to do the nose in a day. Yeah. And I think that's where it, my brain turned, like coupled with that picture that I saw and with them, like, well, they're trying to do it in a day. And I think they did it in like 20 hours or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so by no means were they trying to go fast. They just wanted to do it in a day. And, yeah. I, and that point in time, that wasn't that popular. Like right now, it's everyone's doing it in a day. Sure, sure. <laughs> and when
0: you guys did do it, were, did you have your mindset that you were going after the record, or was it you guys just wanted to move fast and you happened to? Uh, our intentions it.
2: were like we like we spoke about trying to do it in the fall, and it didn't happen. And then we're like, okay, in January, let's start training. And we had no idea what to do. But for me, I was like, well, it seems like you just have to be able to move all day. So. Uh-huh. I would swim and bike and run and go climbing and go climbing in the gym and do some pull-ups and just move all day and I think she was she was doing her own training thing and then we climbed a few times together that spring and went out in June with the intentions of trying to break it
0: mm-hmm. yeah. and afterwards, did it feel like it was a risky endeavor? Did it feel safe?
2: It felt safe. I mean then when we broke it then it was ten hours and twenty minutes, so it was or ten hours and nineteen minutes or whatever um it was it felt, yeah, just like you're moving all the time. Yeah. And we weren't really doing any, like, Pakistani death loop stuff. We were pretty much always leaving each other on belay. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: So how did you feel in 2017 before your accident? Did you, were you nervous? Did you feel confident?
2: Um, that stone always different... makes you nervous. When yeah. At you know, the base, when you drive into the valley and you're like, really? You climb that in a day? Like, you climb that? <laughs> um but, but you had done it a number of I times it, at that point, yeah, right? Yeah, but it still always gives you that. Yeah. like, holy crap, that cliff is huge. I don't know. Just It's got this crazy allure. But I think it always helps that usually when you start, you are I mean, you're just doing a pitch at a time. And so usually when you're at the base, I'm not really ever nervous. I think I, I'm just like, okay, let's just climb a pitch at a time. And like the first four pitches, if you don't like it, you can get off. Uh-huh. And kind of the same, you can keep keep going up and you can keep getting yeah. off for a while, which is pretty
0: nice. (laughs) Yeah. So for the accident, you know, i read about it. It sounds horrifying. You know, you fell from the boot flake, right. And hit the Texas, Texas flake. Yep. What do you remember about the experience beforehand and during?
2: Um, the experience beforehand was like Josie and I both, for some reason, didn't, um, we didn't sleep that well, um, the night that night before. And part of that was because the Hayden Kennedy thing we would all just heard about that mm. and so we were all kind of struggling with that um I had left Estes Park kind of in an odd spot anyway like at the end of the climbing season I I was kind of in that tumultuous state of do I want to leave being a climbing ranger like I love this job but I don't know if I should keep doing it I think I should do something else like Get a 401k in my life, yeah, <laughs> um, because there's not a lot of upward mobility with a climbing ranger job, yeah, unfortunately, and uh, yeah, and Well so almost just, any job in the climbing industry, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um,
0: Did you have a backup plan?
2: Well, I was debating on nursing school, okay. or again, there was just like this PhD program I'd been dragging uh-huh. my feet across for many years, but it wasn't set in stone by any means, no, but it was just a thought, and yeah, so I had left Estes Park kind of in kind of an odd spot with my brain and my heart and I was only in the valley for six days before my accident happened and we hiked that morning and we felt fine Mm -hmm. but we did I remember we did have a conversation in the car like well should we do it like we're here at 10 o'clock like should we go it's kind of late but we know that we could probably do it in at least eight hours like without being extravagant and we were like, yeah, I guess we should go. Like, that's what we said we'd do today. And yeah. just kind of like this weird conversation, and we felt obligated, but no, neither were really that psyched. And um, But when we were hiking to the base, I was like, okay, if we're going to do this, let's do this. Like, I want to try hard today, so let's yeah. to try to go faster. And we were cruising. We were doing great. I felt good until about the top of the Texas flake, and all of a sudden I got kind of grumpy because the as you have to flick the rope around the front of the flake, uh-huh. I got a little grumpy that like it got caught. And I remember looking down and seeing Josie, not far below me, and I was like, ah, I could just, like, wait here for her, like, I'm kind of done, I don't know, but I had one more, like, in my schedule, it was, I had one more pitch, I was supposed to lead to the top of the boot, Mm -hmm. Uh, so I was like, you know what, you can do this, like, look, took out my phone, had the gear beta on there in particular, and just started firing up it and felt fine, moving wise. I was tired definitely, but I felt. And is fine. that a pretty
0: run out section?
2: Uh, it, yes, it definitely can be. And my, you do a bolt ladder and then you have to do a cam hook move and then you get into like a small gear, but it widens really quickly. It's like a point three to yeah. red camelots <laughs> quite quickly. Sure. And usually I'm climbing it with two. Usually, I don't just climb it. And this day, I had been climbing a bit more than I usually do. Mm -hmm. Um, But I always have a piece of gear in attached to a daisy, if not both daisies, like two pieces of gear. And that's where I don't really remember if I took this. I know I had a red Camelot, an ultralight red Camelot attached to daisy that was normally clipped to my left side. Yeah. And I don't really remember if my hand slipped or if I was waiting that one piece of gear and reaching for another piece of gear to plug in. Cause I wasn't, I remember do thinking that I did want a a goal, a number two or a number three. And I yeah. think I was reaching to my left hip, like kind of crossword. Yeah. Um, and then I just remember the feeling of being in an elevator and the rock kind of whooshing past my eyes
0: <laughs> oh my gosh yeah do you remember if like a foot popped or like a hand blew
2: i have no idea actually like i know that that red ultra light camelot was attached to my daisy and i know that i was reaching for a number two or a number three on my right hip crossways like from my left hand and if i was reaching for a number two number three that means it was bigger than hand size for me like cupped and so i could easily have yeah, foot could have popped and my hand slipped and I was out.
0: Yeah. And then yeah. you kind of lose consciousness, I'm assuming, or?
2: I think so. I think like, I mean, I don't remember hitting. Yeah. Um, I just remember like the swooping of the granite. Yeah. And somebody posted on um, one of the climbing sites that it was the party that we'd passed. We'd passed them when they were on Dolt and now they were on El Cap mm-hmm. um, Tower. And he says that he saw like my red camel go between my legs, which I remember visually seeing as well. But he, he made it sound like he saw my body kind of jerk away like I was waiting it. I don't. But huh. who knows, that's all. Yeah, so when yeah. did you
0: regain consciousness?
2: While I was behind the flake at some point, I think I was unconscious for not very long, like maybe 5, 10 minutes. Um, and then Josie came down. She rapp- rapped down to me, and I was face down. So she rolled me over, obviously, like... Rule number one: like get a good airway. Yeah. Um. And I was moaning, and I did tell her I couldn't feel my legs, and I was complaining mostly of my right arm being totally screwed up. Uh uh-huh. Because um, I think I mean my scapula looks like I was hit with a sledgehammer. Um. So I think that was like the brunt of the impact was that. And I still like even when I lay in bed thinking about like how did I fall, how did I fall, how I fall. I'm like sometimes I'm like how did I hit? Uh-huh. Like how did I survive that?
0: <laughs> yeah. And Josie was. Uh, well, she is a former YOSAR member. Yeah, yep, exactly. That must have been extremely helpful. Yeah, are you
2: kidding me? Yeah, her and I had the same jobs. Like, we did rescue in the summertime and teach EMT courses in the wintertime. So, uh-huh. yeah, are you kidding me? To yeah. have that valuable resource right there. And Absolutely. also cool, calm, and collected as she could be. Do you feel
0: like being a climbing ranger helps prepare you for the rescue and everything that you're going through?
2: Um, That's a good question. I don't... I think that probably in that moment maybe yeah in that that shock moment yeah you just you know not to freak out and that's not going to do any good but I think I was probably in so much pain and I couldn't move that I literally uh-huh. was I wasn't I was bleeding out of my head but I wasn't bleeding really anywhere else so I can't really see that I'm bleeding a whole bunch and I th- really uh-huh. do think I was mostly in shock
0: <laughs> And so how long was the rescue?
2: I think um it wasn't that long in fact but I, I, when I looked at the top of Texas Flake, it was like 12-something, 12.20 or so. Mm-hmm. And I think by the time I was down back in El Cap Meadows, 3-ish. So it really wasn't too long, 3 hours, uh-huh. that the helicopter operations happened. And I think part wow. of that is like Josie expediting and and being able to explain to dispatch what what actually occurred and what happened. Rather, you know, sometimes you get these dispatch calls that are just like, eh, there's something happening. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So they were... They knew what to expect right. and you guys were prepared for them and yeah, what you needed to do. Exactly. And having that team there.
2: that was on El Cap Tower who we'd pass, like, I think they just displayed all their kit and just rigged a nice landing spot for Brandon and um, Aaron to come swooping in and had a lot of things were rigged and uh-huh. that made it a lot more quick.
0: So where did they take you to?
2: Um, I got flown. So we flown off the mountain down to El Cap Meadow and then I got transferred to another um, helicopter. And then that was I was flown to Modesto okay and the reason being there is that that was just they had an opening or that's where the 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 contract ship or whoever it was coming from came from modesto and they have a they have a ability to do spinal cord or spinal stabilization
0: so you were there for a while
2: yeah I wasn't the intentions most people probably wouldn't have been there so long but I wasn't accepted anywhere else like I wasn't accepted to a rehab facility because of my scapula my broken scapula Uh so I couldn't do any weight bearing stuff which for a rehab facility they now that my legs don't work that's how you move Mm -hmm. um and so they didn't want to take me yet so my mom did a really good job of researching like places i could go intermittently like if i needed to go to a nursing home or something but that's not ideal because then i'm just gonna sit and fester yeah um and then fortuitously but not fortuitously i happened to get because of my surgery i got a huge infection in my psoas muscle like a softball size infection mass and so the hospital modesto just kept me there while we waited out that infection and waited for me to get off and uh iv antibiotics Uh and so luckily i didn't have to be moved a whole bunch of times i just stayed in modesto and that was for five weeks and then was moved to craig hospital in denver
0: okay and how are how are you dealing with it psychologically i can't even imagine (laughs) you know i've dealt with very few injuries and those like just throw me off my rocker and for you you know climbing was your life and for you to be going through that my life exactly
2: like not necessarily climbing. Like, I loved running uphill so much uh-huh. and swimming and biking and um, not, I would say, you know, some friends are like, oh, she's doing so great. She's doing so amazing. And my mom would say, Ah, oh, she's not doing great at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm back in Estes Park, which is lovely to be home, but uh-huh. my friendships have changed um, as people aren't able to cope with me or aren't able to realize that I can go do more things and just sit around and eat and drink Yeah. and staring at longs peak and lumpy Ridge all day, every day is pretty hard. (laughs) Some days are better than others. Um, I have nerve pain, which is pretty incredibly debilitating, um, Um, mostly every other day. Okay. Um, thankfully as we're talking today, it's not a high nerve pain day, (laughs) Um, but tomorrow. Yay. Um, (laughs) It's wild that it is every, as I'm yelling, it's wild that it's every other day, but on those high nerve pain days, it's just like, yeah, I'm pretty depressed and I don't see how I'm going to do this for another X amount of years, or I feel pretty angry at myself, a lot of dealing with a lot of like, I failed kind uh-huh. of things. Um, that I failed and that I was selfish and that I was stupid and those kind of things that internal dialogue is yeah. is often.
0: And do you have tools for dealing with that? Do you have things that help you?
2: Mm, trying to like, well, when I'm laying in bed at night, I don't, I'm usually more consumed by the nerve pain. So I've just been doing a lot of breath work, which like the yogi in me before, like, I mean, you know how to breathe and you know how to meditate, but uh-huh. it's really hard to change that focus. And it's funny because I downloaded some thunderstorm sounds like rain, thunderstorms down. So if I'm really in nerve pain time, I just turn that on and like, it helps actually. Uh Or a podcast helps like just distracting me from just laying there in bed with this incredible amount of pain. Yeah. But as far as like the the depression aspect of it, uh, I think talking to friends and just trying to put it out there, like being okay with weeping and crying. Mm -hmm.
0: and... And you mentioned before, you know, you're doing a lot more writing. Do you think that yeah. helps you kind of process it and
2: I think so but I find like I am I feel like I'm repetitive like uh-huh. I notice like in some of my blog posts if I'm reading back through the older blog posts I feel like I'm talking about the same shit like I really ha- I'm not getting through this process and granted I know that this is a giant life change and I shouldn't be getting through it like lickety split Sure but it does feel frustrating to me that I'm talking about the same stuff. Like I'm really struggling with the fact that I'm single and I'm really struggling with the fact that I will never date again or that I'm not going to walk again or all of this crap. Yeah. <laughs> it seems, yeah. And I'm like, get over it. Like find it better. Like the psychologist in me knows that I'm like, I'm kind of digging in the same rut and I'm like, get out uh-huh. of the rut, find a new pathway, find a new pathway. But it's so hard to like sure. get out of that rut. And and find that new pathway and find the joy and the purpose and the, and the healing. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: Well, if it makes you feel any better, I have like a bunch of friends who are deal, you know, deal with those same issues <laughs> who've had to, who have gone through a whole lot less. So, I mean, I know it doesn't really <laughs> help, you know, almost <laughs> during those kind of darker times, it seems like almost nothing helps, Yeah. but other and, people, yeah. you know, go through it. Do you feel like, going through the accident, going through the recovery process has also opened your eyes to things that you're grateful for?
2: (sighs) Yes, a little bit, but not much. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, I mean, I recognize the things that I should be grateful for, that I am here and that I do have a brain, that I can be speaking to you. Mm -hmm. I can use my hands. And um, Somebody posted a good quote yesterday or the other day about trauma and how, um, how there's always worse, but what you're going through is your own and how you go through it is your own. So it doesn't mean that just because yes, I should be gracious that I have hands and a brain that works and I recognize myself in the mirror. Uh Um, doesn't mean that what I'm going through isn't as valid as it is. I don't know. That was a good, a good reminder that, yeah, you, I can be gracious for these things, but I should recognize that I should be patient with myself and that I am going through some shit.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah. And there sometimes isn't an answer or a solution. Sometimes you just need to go through it. Right? Yeah.
2: And I think I felt like I was kind of given a, a, a triple deck of dealing with things in a row and I'm grieving all three things and I'm needing to figure out how to, sometimes I can grieve for one more than the other. And that's where I think that repetitiveness comes in. Cause I'm like, ah, oh, I thought I sorted that. Uh-huh. Nope. Back back around, here we go again.
0: (laughs) So it's been about a year now, almost.
2: Mm, My God, can you believe it? Is it it crazy? I haven't walked in almost a year. That's wild. It is wild.
0: (laughs) So, and there's been, you know, other big wall speed climbing accidents. Yeah. Do you think about, you know, the validity of big wall speed climbing? Is it worth it? Is it worth the risk? Is it something that, you know, we as a community should be thinking more about?
2: Um, this is something I've come, I don't know if I've come full circle. I mean, I always have felt that people should always just do what they want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I learned that a hard way. Like, I think I've spoken of Andrew before, but that Andrew was a man that I dated a while ago and he died soloing in the Black Canyon. And after his death, I was like, you know, and uh, coincidentally, a girlfriend died the same day in a car accident. And... So kind of like literally put it face to face, like yeah, she died doing just like driving home from work, not yeah. doing anything exciting. He definitely died doing what he loved, and th- although neither of them had the intentions of dying that day, like I would have rather been in an Andrew's situation than in an Annie's. But as far as speed climbing goes, like I don't know, like I, I always I try to tell like my parents, like they. We're like, you know, we didn't know that you were into this speed climbing thing so much. And I was like, well, you did know because I broke the speed record well before my accident. Uh But I'd also say on this day, like, yes, Josie and I were going fast, but we're still, golly, over half the time, amount of time that uh, Tommy and Alex are going. Like, we're not... (laughs) Mm -hmm. like running up the rock, like it really is more efficiency. Like if you can just keep moving and you're really efficient at the belays and you're not like, you're just moving. Like, it's not that dangerous. Like what I was doing. Yes. I feel like that's where I'm mad at myself. Like I feel like I was being cavalier. Why did I only have one piece of gear and instead of my normal two, which I normally do on every other ascent, I've had two pieces of gear that I'm shuffling along up the boot flake. So this day I do feel like I was being more cavalier in that, last two minutes like why did I do that I don't know if I would have been two minutes slower 20 seconds slower I would not have had my injury but again like that's where everyone's like well you could have summited and you and Josie could have been driving home and gotten a car accident
0: yeah and you read in like (laughs) instructional books about climbing or mountaineering (laughs) like speed is safety like the faster you're on and off the mountain, for sure, or like the face the safer and, you're going to be.
2: Yeah, like weather and like calorically, like yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't feel like yes, yes, and people would argue with my statement just back then that yes, what you, what you were doing was dangerous. You were doing a Pakistani death loop. You weren't. You were climbing off there without a belay. Yes, but that was what also my skill set and my. I was climbing within reason. Like I can climb five thirteen. I was using to crack Jumar system on 510. Uh-huh. Like, I feel pretty competent on 5.9, And yes, shit can happen, and that's how people slip and fall, and things do happen. and But things can happen even if you are feeling safe and you're climbing your 510 that you've climbed 100 times. Like, Yeah, I don't know. It's a hard one. And so I do feel there's, I don't know, there is some kind of conflict with... The speed climbing, I think that's like what people are trending towards. Like now, I said earlier, the nose in a day is now this popular thing. Mm-hmm. But to climb in the nose in a day in 20 hours really isn't that dangerous. It doesn't put you... Like you can climb and every pitch, be normally belayed, mm-hmm. and reasonably do it in 14 hours, depending yeah. on your skill set. Uh-huh. So...
0: So are you able to get outside? Or are you able to get out and go camping and been stuff camping. like that? Yeah, I've
2: been camping a few times. My girlfriend Lizzie um, rallied a whole bunch of us, like Lizzie and Madeline and Heidi and I. We all went pack rafting down oh, cool. uh, the, the lower Gunnison. So we were in Escalante Canyon. Um, we went pack rafting for like four days, maybe a couple weeks ago. And then I've just been like car camping otherwise. Uh-huh been biking a lot which has been nice and I realize every time I do something for the first time I'm totally a crier so like the first time I got on my butt the bike because it's a hand cycle and I'm like well this is totally different than biking used to be you know I'm using my hands great I love using my hands these days like that's totally like a frustrating thing (laughs) not a good thing (laughs) (laughs) um so been biking a bit, I swim a lot, and mm-hmm. um, up here there's just a community center and it's um, an indoor pool, but I've been trying to go out paddleboarding or kayaking or something like down on the front range and get outside. And then wheeling around, yeah. I, my friends and I have monikered it strolling, uh, so let's go for a stroll and they'll walk and I'll roll. <laughs> yeah,
0: any other new hobbies that aren't necessarily outdoors, but things um, that you've been getting into?
2: Not quite yet. Like I used to draw a little bit before and I've just been doodling, but, uh po- guitar! Did you play that Ha-ha! guitar
0: over there? Yeah, I was going to ask I've you. I've been
2: fiddling with it. Awesome. I suck at it, but <laughs> it's definitely more portable than a piano. Yeah. Um, but it's been fun to learn, totally. And I, yeah, like I used to sing all the time, so like I've had some friends here and I totally miss that part of life. Like I haven't hung around a campfire and sang music in so long. Uh-huh. And we not like we can have campfires right now, but. No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I think that's all the questions I had. Did I miss anything that you wanted to talk about?
2: I don't think so. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, time.
2: thank you for having me.
0: That's it. That's the conclusion of the show. I want to thank both of our guests, Nina and Quinn, for taking the time to sit down and talk with us. Today's theme music was provided by Small Houses at smallhouses.band. And if you haven't done so already, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Leave a comment, leave a review, tell a friend, help spread the word. All right. Thank you all for joining. It's been fun. See you at the next Base Camp.